You're listening to Of Slights and Men with Benji and Jacob. A Daily Magician Production. Well, hello, and welcome back to Of Slides and Men. Uh, we're very excited because, uh, well, actually, first of all, how are you doing, Benji? Uh, how's your day been? Yeah, it's been good. I've been looking forward to the interview we have coming up today. It's with a very, I mean, he really puts the, this podcast is called Of Slides and Men. And I think this guy really puts the slides <laughs> in the title. I guess we're the men. Um, not that right. he isn't, but I feel like he's representing the slight side of things. And that man, of course, is uh, Jason uh, Jason Ladanier, or do I? Tell me right now if, I, if I'm saying that wrong, because I want to make sure I it right for the rest. It's like a seven and a half out of ten, eight, eight out of ten on that. Um, it's it's Danny. Like a boy's name, Danny. Mm. You just put Ladanny. Uh, yeah, like you are Danny, but you're in Spain. So Ladanny. Okay. There you go. Uh, so Jason Ladanny, uh, for any of you who don't know him, is a professional award-winning sleight-of-hand entertainer. Uh, he's performed card magic all around the world for about 20 years now. Um, from what I hear, he specializes in corporate events, uh, trade shows, private parties for huge kind of like Fortune 500 companies. Um, I'm, I'm looking at a list of his clients here, and I'm I'm pretty impressed. The, the New York Yankees on there, General Electric, Time Warner, um, Fuji Films. He's also performed for people like Bruce Willis, uh, Tom Holland, and a lot of other people that I'm sure our audience are already jealous of. Um, but that's kind of like a outward facing side of things to, to the general public, to magicians. He's also well known for being a student of uh, Darwin Ortiz um, and releasing two incredible books on card magic, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on in the podcast. Uh, let me know, was that a seven and a half out of 10? How did that do? Uh, that was good. I like that. Um, so you did good there. And uh, that's how I present myself uh, to clients. You got to play the game, you know, and you back that up with yeah. some, with a good trailer and uh, they, you're breaking down all the trust. They have no reason to say no. So that's why that's all there. It's all bullshit, but uh, <laughs> no. but it's there. No, no all <laughs> that, works. all that, that that's going to get taken out of context. I'm sure, but no, all that is true. That's a, I've accumulated all that over uh, over my lifetime of of performing. Well, I guess your your book title is uh, "Confident Deceptions," right? So even if it mm-hmm. was, it's kind of in the name. So. Right, exactly. Well, there's all a little bit. I mean, that's I, I have that word tattooed on my body because it really is uh, about. I mean, that's what we do as a, as a magician, obviously, but the whole thing, everything from booking events to, to, um, just the, the whole thing, there's, it's, it's everywhere in our lives. And I appreciate it so much because that's how, uh, where I pull a lot of my creativity from, um, mm. anything that's deceptive fooled somebody somehow. And you can take that little piece out and say, you know, how can I use this, uh, in a way that's entertaining or build a card trick out of it or something like that. But just, you know, when you're negotiating with a with a client, all negotiating is deception. You know, you have a, a price in mind and you you mm. have to say twice that, right? And then they say, oh, well, we can't do that. And they're lying. You know, they, everybody's lying. <laughs> and and you go back and forth and, and, you know, it's just fascinating how that's such a big part of our lives. Yeah. I'm interested, um, before we get into, into that, uh, tell me, Jason, how did you actually, so how did magic become a part of your life? Um, I've read a little bit on the bubble, and I'm sure that the people that are listening will be very interested to hear. Where did all of this start? What, what's your origin story, if we like? Uh, so when I was um, about seven years old, 
um, my family, we, we moved a lot uh, as a kid. We were one of those families that would live in a, in a home for six months and then move mm. and live there for a year and then move again. And um, we lived at a library, believe it or not. So if you wow. live above the library and you maintained the library, like you would clean it and check the mm. books out and basically be an employee of the library, you got to live upstairs for free. That's and this was cool. in Kuksaki, New York, uh, upstate New York. And when I lived there, uh, there was a wealth of knowledge uh, downstairs in the stacks. Uh, we call the big, long uh, rows of, of books. And of course, in my mind, at seven years old, I remember this like a scene out of the, you know, uh, some New York City museum type library that was absolutely huge. But I've gone back since and looked at it and it's really small. <laughs> but at the time, it was the, the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life, you know. And of course, you know, I would roller skate through the through the stacks. I didn't really care about the books. But my older brother, uh, who's 11 years older than me, so he was 18 and the coolest kid in the world, um, who could drive and stay up past eight o'clock, you know, he uh, showed me a card trick. And uh, the card trick was the four robbers, you know, the four jacks or the four robbers. Yeah, yeah. And one's going to one's going to go in the first floor, second floor, third floor. And then the lookout stays on top. You knock the top of the deck and the jacks all jump off the top of the roof. And at seven years old, my I just I just didn't understand how he could put those jacks in the middle and do nothing. And they were on the top. How could, how is that possible? So the, the purest of laymen, right. You know, so I was just right then and there was when it happened, my brain blew up. And I realized that downstairs in the library was magic books and I checked them out and 30 some odd years later, I still have them. I'm looking at them right now. I, I oh, still well. have those same books. Yeah. So I learned early to. I was, I was <laughs> so that, so that, that pretty overdue. I'm going to yeah. check these out and these are mine now. Um, <laughs> so I read these books and um, learned some card tricks in there. And then I started to have that lifelong quest at the time to fool my older brother because he got me. Mm -hmm. So I had to get him, you know. And uh, let's see, I can probably do the math. It wasn't until I was probably about 18 or so before I was able to fool him. So I had 11 years of practice to try to fool my older brother and my parents and stuff. You know, they would always see through everything because they were so simple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But eventually I did get my brother. Um, and that was like one of the most gratifying experiences in my life. He just didn't say anything. He just looked at me with this look. That, like, <laughs> and you knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're dead. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, that was just a wonder wonderful feeling. But during that time, um, like for example, I saw David Copperfield on the, the when he walked through the wall and made the Statue of Liberty disappear. The Orient Express, you know, touching the TV screen and moving your finger left to right, or those types of things, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, my mom knew that I was into magic, so she took me to see David Copperfield, and I remember being in, you know, in the theater watching the show, and he disappeared off the stage instantly, just it crawled into a box, vanished. And he was on a Harley Davidson, like three seats away from me, like in the middle of the audience. And wow. yeah, I was just like, I remember thinking like, what kind of sleight of hand is that? Cause I didn't read that. In my, <laughs> didn't find that in the book. Yeah. I didn't read that in my Mickey Mouse magic book. Cause that's, that doesn't, you know, a little piece of tape and some thread yeah. is going to do that. So I was pretty uh, amazed by all of that. And um, to take a, to, skip over a few years, I, I eventually ended up, I was playing piano and guitar at the same time while I was learning magic too, like a lot of hobbies. My mom got me into a lot of things I was interested in. And I ended up touring professionally. I went on the road and played in bands and such, and we toured all over wow. the world. I mean, actually, you know, real recording label bands, not just like my buddy's band, you know? Mm. So I ended up doing that for uh, 11 years and eventually kind of in my 
later, late twenties or something, I came off the road and just needed some income. So I said, you know what, let's tap into that magic thing and see if I can do that. And that the rest is history. So I'm interested because some of those events I'm hearing you talk about overlap with a, a blog post of yours that I read. I think it was, uh, I don't know how I found it, but it was about August of last year. And it was the one about, um, and forgive me if I misremember some of the details, but it's the one about, you know, how do you, uh, I've actually forgotten the title, but you know, it's when you meet Darwin Ortiz, you meet Steve Forte. Um, oh, you, you forget that. You realize, you realize you don't, you don't know, know anything. It. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And so from what I'm hearing, um, one question, actually, I have two questions, so you'll have to forgive me. But the first question is, in that blog post, you talk about how you put in all that work, and we've already heard a little bit about that now. Then when you met Darwin, you were like, oh, okay, I, re I really don't know anything, so let me start from scratch, so to speak. Oh, it was completely, it was, mm -hmm. uh, it was not heartbreaking, but it was eye-opening for sure, because you, mm. um, when you teach yourself, you know, this is a big problem in magic, but it's also a problem everywhere else in the world mm. where people get into something for a few months and think they know everything in the world. And that's a lot, that's where a lot of the kind of the stupid magic forum comments come from and the Facebook <laughs> uh, magic groups. Oh, you see those uh, as well. Those comments, oh, they're hilarious. <laughs> they're, they are so interesting. Once you see, once you know what it is, it's like the best thing ever to read these things because these people just don't know anything. It's the ultimate uh, armchair quarterback or the, the keyboard warrior or whatever. That These people have just no experience whatsoever and yet are offering these detailed answers and, and they have zero experience. But they, but in their worlds, they really are right. They get, they've, they don't know any better so that they really are sticking to the points and going for it so without getting opening that whole thing up um when i studied all this magic i read these books and taught myself all this stuff um and i had a few uh, dvds and everything so you can see how i'm becoming an expert you know like mm. oh cool i got the martin nash dvds i learned all those so i'm done with martin nash now i can move mm. on to the darwin ortiz books and and this uh his dvds and oh i mastered all these things of course i can do all this stuff mm -hmm. uh so when i met him and, and realized i asked him to show me a, a bottom deal mm -hmm. and he started doing bottoms with the king so he put the kings on the bottom and started dealing super slow stud fashion bottoms mm -hmm. and the kings are coming out and i'm thinking this old man doesn't i mean i can see that these are duplicates i mean i see the top card coming over so here I got this, how embarrassing for this old man, because he's dealing duplicates, trying to pass them off his bottoms. Is what do I, I don't call him out because I have respect for the guy, but that's pretty lame that he would show me that. And then he finished it and he showed me the bottom of the deck and there was no kings there anymore. And I said, all right, well, that's cool. He, he figured out a way to, to put a cover card there. Or he, he lapped him or something. I just missed that. But okay, cool bottom demo, bro. You know. Anyway, then he said, let me do it again for you. I think I can get a better stroke. And that that bothered me a little bit because I'm thinking like, what do you what do you mean like you need to get in better stroke? <laughs> you wouldn't say that if these were duplicate kings, you know. Mm. So he puts them back on the bottom, and I'm watching closer. And after like the second or third one, I realized these these are bottom deal. Like I'm looking right at the card, and I can see mm. his. It comes off the deck, the top card, and it, his other hand takes it. He puts it on the table, and it's that was a bottom. Mm. And it reminds if you're on if anybody listening is unfamiliar with a, an actually good bottom. It's similar to the coin retention vanishes you see mm -hmm. on like Instagram. You see these kids doing the, with the giant coins that just instantly vanishes, you know? 
and it just looks like real magic. And it's that same type of thing where your eye just sees that card come off the top and the other hand takes it. And that's not what's happening, but your eye's really fooled by it. So mm-hmm. that's when I knew I don't know anything. And then I saw it was in that same period over the next couple of years that he would do a false shuffle or something. And I'd say, well, well, that wasn't false because I saw the cards go all the way together. And then he'd spread them out and they'd be in order. And I'd go, damn it. <laughs> you know? So over and over and over again, I had to realize that I didn't know anything. But he was a great teacher because he didn't just mock me or, or make me feel down about everything I've done. He, one by one, started to fix everything. And I kind of realized on my own, oh, cool. Like, I still got this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he kind of wiped the slate clean, to be honest with you. Yeah. And I have a... I have a few follow-up questions actually because I think this is yeah, really sure. interesting. So how would you recommend for somebody who maybe isn't able to, to meet Darwin in person? Is it just a lost well, cause for them or because no, no, they're going to want to go for the videos and books? But No, no, no. no. Do you have like a Teach path me, for them? Uh, the, the real answer is a, is a mentor. Somebody that, uh, you know, let me get a, let me organize my thoughts here. You If, if you just do books or, or YouTube videos or videos and things like that, it's a one-way street. The person in the video says do XYZ and you think you're doing XYZ, but there's no real time correction mm-hmm. from the YouTube video, the book or uh, the DVD, right? Mm-hmm. So you, it's very simple to make mistakes or to create your own barriers that you don't even realize are barriers. I've taught for, a, I taught guitar and piano and magic. And I realized that when students come back, even the next lesson, they've put up a lot of barriers that they don't even realize are the problems. Because they were so focused on one thing, they didn't realize they created another problem. Hmm. So in I'm able to fix that and say, okay, great, you did the one thing I want, but let's still continue to do that, but let's fix these three or four bad habits you've developed. Hmm. So that's the benefit of having a, a real-time teacher. Um, so it's not a lost cause for, for people. It's that if you're a student, you want to get as much information as you can from lots of different sources hmm. and start to work on these things. and have kind of a common sense approach to this stuff. Don't just read the book and say, okay, that's the end all be all. You can look at it in the mirror and self-assess and say, well, okay, I'm following everything that it says, but I don't like this thing here. How can I fix it? And Mm. be open to your own suggestions. Think about things, problem solve. Uh, And then of course, uh, hanging out with people that are better than you. That's always a good place to be Just some people in life right yeah yeah some people they want to go sit at that table you know the, at a convention and sit down and be the big king at the mm-hmm. table you know well that's great and all but imagine sitting around the table with all these greats you know now you're nothing but look at your you know you're getting all this information uh that will improve you and being with people that are open to sharing and stuff like that um you know that's what i mean about those online groups mm-hmm. if steve 40 tells me i need to work on xyz i'm probably going to work on that Hmm. Uh, but if some, you know, user nine one zero six seven five tells me to give up card magic because I'm bad for the, the card magic community, I don't really. He doesn't have much weight, hmm. so that's why I want to be hanging out with the right kind of people. Yeah, I, awesome. Yeah, go ahead, Vince. No, I mean, I just want to quickly follow on a couple of threads before this story grows cold. Um, you mentioned in the blog post that when you met Darwin and you had this encounter, you had this sort of realization that you needed to sort of relearn from scratch. I, I was going to ask you, like, how literal is that? So, f- say for example, I'm 20, uh, I don't know any card magic, and I start learning from scratch the same way you started learning from, learning from scratch. Mm-hmm. In 10 years, are we the same ability? Or, like, how, how literal is it when you say, like, you have to start from scratch? Well, I, at the time, I mean, I only put in maybe three or four years. Mm-hmm. So, um, for example, a Zaro Shuffle or something, I just... Mm-hmm. 
I was the guy that picked up the whole packet and stuffed it into the into the other side of the deck and just hope that people didn't catch it, you know? Mm -hmm. So what am I, there's nothing I can do with that. It's garbage. So I had to relearn the whole move the right way. Um, but that doesn't mean I needed to stop uh, everything. I was still able to, you know, in other words, these moves and slights and effects were only cooking at 70% efficiency, if that makes sense. So I could still mm -hmm. perform and fool people. It still worked, but it wasn't the best. If that, you know where I'm going with this? It's, it's, it's yeah, yeah. possible. So when, when he wiped the slate clean or when we decided or I decided to one by one kind of fix everything, it didn't put me out of commission. Like I wasn't able to gig or work anymore. Hmm. So it wasn't a problem. I just slowly started to replace all the parts. Think of a carpenter's you know toolbox, hmm. screwdriver, something hmm. cheap, the hammer's kind of broken, this tool's got duct tape on it. You know, and over time, we just said, all right, let's get right, a brand right. new, much better, with the best tool for the job. And you just kind of rebuilt your toolbox. But that only took uh, a couple of years to, to start um, getting those fundamentals down. For example, the pinky count, you know, I, mm -hmm. I learned it myself and I had only gotten 60 to 70% of it. So when he wanted to fix it, it wasn't like an overhaul. It was just kind of the polish that I kind of left off. Mm -hmm. So this wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't like I, I lost, you know, the ability to, to do everything in, in one lesson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally get what you're saying. And it, it reminds me, um, actually of something, that's something similar that happened to myself where, I had sort of got to the point where I thought I knew enough about card magic that I almost had this slight arrogance in that I was like, I don't, I don't like card magic. I thought mm. I knew enough about it to make a judgment on it and say, I don't like it. It's not that great. It's a little bit corny. It doesn't really fool me. Um, yeah. You know what? Then, this this mm. is objective stuff. The whole mm. I do or don't like, you know, those answers are true, but there's someone else that, that may like it or may not like mm. it. You know, that's the funny thing about art. You and I can both go to a museum and look at a painting and I can go, all right, it's a fucking horse. Who gives a shit? And someone else looks at that and goes, "Yeah, you know, this was painted in the 1700s, you know, and look at, it looks like a photograph, you know? And, and uh, so people see two different- <laughs> Sounds like me and my wife whenever we go to an art <laughs> gallery. <laughs> okay. So it's a bunch of clouds in the sky. Great. You know? Um, but, and, and, and the, the guy wants to look at a fancy uh, photography of, of cars and the wife would say, what? It's, it's a, it's a car. Who gives a shit? You know? So that, it, but, the artist that took the picture of the car, you know, he had to go through a lot of learning to be able to do that. And the person who did the painting, obviously, spent a lifetime on all those mm -hmm. techniques to get it right. So that's why this whole subjective thing of uh, card magic is bad or coin magic is bad. You know, it's, uh, we all know there's bad magic out there. But at the same time, you're allowed the opinion if you don't like this or that, mm -hmm. that's fine. But I think one thing people should at least sort of experience before they pass final judgment, which is probably my mistake, was being exposed to a master, right? Because I went and I visited uh, Aaron Fisher and he was just showing me some card stuff uh, in his living room or, or wherever. And I guess it's a similar experience to what you're talking about where I knew what a double lift was and I knew he was doing a double lift, but it took my brain far too long to catch up with my eyes. You know what I mean? So I almost, oh. he, he sneaked in that fool. He like fooled me in that like split second before mm. my brain was even able to catch up. He sort of like snuck it in there. And stuff like that just really sort of changed my whole kind of paradigm. It's like, I think you sort of have to reserve judgment until you see somebody do it right. Um, I interrupt this podcast to give a brief shout out to our website, thedailymagician.com. If you haven't already signed up for our daily emails that will give you great content just like this podcast, please head over there and sign up now. That's thedailymagician.com. We promise that we won't disappoint you.
Yeah, and that's a sad thing because some a lot of people do make that judgment about magic, or card magic especially, where it seems, or well, I guess it's all around. People have certain views of of ma what magic should be or something like that. And if it doesn't fit it, they just get rid of it and that's it. That's just normal human nature stuff. Um, and you're right, they're missing out on some some great magic, but that's not the magician's fault. You know what I mean? I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and that's it. So uh, that that's kind of sad for that. It's, that's a them problem, not a you problem, you know? So, uh, and also you can always, I, I do this stuff a lot where, you know, some magician says, oh, well, that was so-so or whatever. And you can play out these imaginary effects. Like right now, if either one of you had a deck of cards and I said, you know, take that deck of cards, shuffle it, pull any card out of the middle. Don't look at it, right? Now think of a card and tell me what it is. And you say the four of hearts and I say, okay, turn that card over. And it's the four hearts. Both of you, you'd flip out. Mm -hmm. You said it's the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. And it's just that you didn't see the method, that's all. And that's why you saw it was great. So, so many magicians, because they can follow along with the trick, mm -hmm. just forget kind of what the effect is and just focus on the methods. Mm -hmm. And and then they judge it based on that. Oh, I know how you did it, you know? Um, so you have to remember that. I don't, and also, I'm, I perform for lay people only. So lay people only see the effect. They do not judge if a trick is good or not based on the technical things you use, because in their minds, those technical things don't even exist. So that is a tr much truer uh, scale of what good magic is. Is it getting great reactions and people are full of them talking about it and you get repeat work and, and they're just stunned when they see it. You know, that that's where mm. I take my magic. And if another magician likes it or doesn't like it, that doesn't, doesn't mean anything to me. Mm. Right. I, yeah, actually talking of that, um, I'm interested to hear, maybe you could elaborate a little bit for us, because um, I've seen some of these, you know, big names like Wall Street Journal, Yankees, Aldi. Um, tell us, I mean, what, what's one of the most memorable, I guess, gigs you've ever landed kind of, you know, and how does that go down? I'm just interested to hear about this kind of world of corporate magic. Well, it's, it's a, um, it is a ladder that you climb. Uh, and some people get there faster and I swear to God, it's just luck, but you can kind of make your own luck mm. with this stuff. Uh, because the more you put yourself out there, the more opportunities you have. Um, it's kind of like saying, I'm going to go fishing today, but I'm only going to go fishing for three minutes. Mm. You know, right. you can't complain that you didn't catch anything, but if you go fishing all day long, every day of the week, you're going to have that line out there more often. And that's mm. going to result in more fish. So when I first started, my first few gigs were just local things. And I, I'm not a kid's magician. I don't do, I mean, you know, if you watch my videos it's all gambling stuff and right. there's adult don't want to start any bad habits too soon james bond kind of you know i i did a, one kids gig in my life and this woman talked me into it because it was a, i was kind of not a friend of the family but no. i knew the kid and, and the, she was just like oh it's just a little bit you just do the adults and just do a little bit for the kids you know and hmm. i show up in my you know fifteen hundred dollar suit and the, they open the doors and a swarm of 30 kids come in like piranhas <laughs> And they're like pulling on my suit and I can hear the th threads tearing on my jacket pockets. And um, I felt like I was going to fall down and just get swallowed up by the sea of diseased little snotty nosed kids. It was the worst experience of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I found then that Pretty I would life then. Pretty good do life. another kids show in my life. Like, what was I thinking? And that's not true. It happened again, too, because one time I, I like tripled my rate. This woman called mm -hmm. and was like, I need a party for tomorrow. And I'm like... <laughs> Oh, oh, so you're in a jam and it's kids. Okay. And I threw this huge number out there and she goes, okay. And I'm like, fuck me. And the same kind of thing happened where I was like, I just, I just have to learn the answers. No. So to get back to the story, um, 
I, when I left uh, playing music uh, for a living, I didn't have much of an income, uh, specifically zero. So I decided to start teaching piano and guitar lessons and then also getting what gigs I could. So I learned that word of mouth thing is great. You know, you do some gigs, get some gigs back from that, saved up enough money for a website, started getting more uh, search engine optimization mm -hmm. with Google and such. The local gigs would start to come to me. But every single gig that came in was an opportunity for me to say a little bit more, you know? So at first I thought that 150, 200 bucks was a lot of money. You know, I'm like, wow, I did card tricks for an hour and I got 200 bucks. If right. I were to do that, you know, on the road in a touring band, you make about five to 700 bucks a gig, right? But locally you get a hundred bucks for a gig. You go play four hours at a bar and you make a hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. So if I'm making 200 bucks just doing card tricks, I thought that was a great thing. And then uh, I got my first corporate gig. I'll never forget it because I was like, you know, in a in my bathrobe in the living room, mm -hmm. dirty hair and eat, still eating cereal out of the bowl and the phone rings. And it's Fuji Films. And they're like, we, we're doing a convention in upstate New York and we're looking for some entertainment afterwards. And he, I said, I'm sure. What's the date and all this other stuff? And he gave me the date. He said, all right, it pays, it pays uh, 300 bucks. And I remember thinking like, wow. <laughs> I'm gonna make three hundred dollars, you know. And I was at that gig, and of course, you're hanging out with th these are rich people now. These are like business owners and people that have traveled right. from all over the world to come to this this thing. So I started putting two and two together and realizing like this these are different people because the the after uh, you know the family gathering parties and birthday parties and things like that. I was only getting more gigs I didn't want because mm. that's the only people that were there. Mm. But when I did started this corp, I got a handful of corporate gigs and I realized these are like rich people. <laughs> and then um, one of my favorites was one of my first gigs in New York City where they called and they were like, all right, we saw you at, at such and such uh, thing. We'd love to have just exactly that. Come do magic for the the group and then afterwards they're gonna have some speakers and then you come up and do like 30 minutes afterwards hmm. and he said like I, I hate to say this but we've had a lot of budget cuts this year and you know you got to drive down from albany so we apologize but would 3500 bucks be okay <laughs> and i'm sitting in my living room and i'm jaw on the floor and i'm nervous as hell. like i could feel my heart thumping i can hear my blood flowing through my ears and everything and i just went yeah yeah that's uh yeah, I, I think I, I can. I sure. can. Answer. Yeah, please. please. <laughs> yes, please. And I just couldn't believe that that was it. And then it it made it clicked to me that I'm in the wrong fucking city. Like, <laughs> I, I can't get that kind of money out of birthday parties and things. And it just it just clicked on me. Oh my god, I've been in the wrong market the whole time. Mm. So I was working way harder than I had to, meaning I had to do more gigs, but not the, even the right gigs. And I'm only advertising to people that I don't want. And when I realized. Mm oh man, I got to go down to the city and work in New York city and pitch more money and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it just made so much sense to me. And that's how I was able to get that stuff. But think about it. When I go down and do the New York gig, same thing. There's 300 people there that are all rich, that have lots of money that do these types of things, that these mm -hmm. big events where they want to have high quality entertainment. So back to the thing I said 15 minutes ago is it's like a ladder. You start out small. You just can't skip to, to the high end gigs. You got to start chipping away and getting yourself in front of the right people. And you know, those stupid memes about magicians that say exposure bucks where they, mm. they talk about, mm. Oh, great. They said, it's going to be great opportunity for me. Mm. 
Well, some of those are good opportunities. And if your ego's in the way and you go, oh, I don't work for free, you're fucking yourself because you should be at that. It's not all of them. Obviously, when it's a 75-year-old woman's birthday party and they throw that line like, this is a great opportunity for you. Yeah. That's that's a fuck. That, no. <laughs> Sorry, Grandma. It's 3500 It's a great opportunity day. for her. Yeah. yeah. So that you have to be able to say and recognize the difference when a high opportunity gig comes that even it may pay less or pay nothing, but you need to get in front of those people. Hmm. And that's how, um, you, you, like I said, just getting in the right opportunities. And then those big ones will come in. The Yankees one was awesome. It was right on the, I have pictures in my Instagram of it. I'm literally on the grass. Uh, in so Yankee when I, yeah, when I heard, when I got the, the gig, I was like, oh, this is cool. I thought it was just going to be in some office building somewhere, but it was on the field. And then from that, I did that Yankees gig and I got one of the biggest gigs I ever got in my life after that. It was a three-day uh, trade show in mm. Vegas for three days. All expense paid. You know, like this is this is it. When I was a kid, one the one thing I wanted to do was perform in Vegas mm. and make a whole bunch of money. And uh, I remember thinking when I was doing that gig, like, I've made it. Mm. I'm, I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do when I was a kid. But do you see how one gig just leads to another? Yeah. There's no, yeah. there's no fast yeah. track. There's no fast track at all. Mm -hmm. One question I have uh, relating to this is, and this is totally my mistaken paradigm of the corporate magic world, but I've always sort of mistakenly in my head thought about it like, oh, uh, the magician has to go pitch the people and like, here is why you need a magician. Like, I can do this for you. I can do this. What percentage of your clients, I guess maybe not so, not so much now, right? Because you have more sort of inbound leads, but what percentage of companies are pitched on the magic versus like pitching different magicians? Uh, well, this is a mix and a personal preference. I never really did the thing where I called cold called companies and told them, hey, you need this. You know, uh, I would try that sometimes and sometimes it would work. But I found that and I, I, um, I'm thankful to Darwin for this mm. because of, of him teaching me about strong magic and making sure you make a big impact at your shows. You know, you're not just the, the magician. You're mm. you're like the life of the party. You're you're the, the big thing. And that always enabled me to get follow-up work from every single gig. So mm. since I never really had that dry spell of going, oh, man, I got nothing in the books for, for eight months. I got to start making phone calls. I never really had to worry about cold calling companies and doing that cold pitch, like this is what mm. you need kind of a thing. Uh, and then when, when I would get that kind of stuff, sometimes you just have a client call you and they have no idea what you do. Of course, you just ask them, what would you like? And you can mm. then tailor your whatever services you do to whatever they need, you know? Has that changed during virtual or is it still the same pattern? Say, ask that again. It, has that changed during virtual shows or is it still the same pattern of show? Oh, no, business is business. People want entertainment. So they're, they're not, the platform has changed. Your stage has changed. But the, the business template of either getting repeat work through your clients or getting new clients, that's not, no different regardless mm. of virtual. Mm. Um, some things are different just because, um, you know, I've travel isn't an issue anymore. You know, a couple months ago, I did like Shanghai and, uh, you know, uh, Colorado in back to back. I mean, how often do you get to do that kind of stuff? So uh, that's made things a little bit easier without having to factor in travel costs and everything. And I do, ch I'm charging less because of that. And when this first started happening, I didn't really know what to charge because that's usually a big issue. Mm -hmm. I got to go get a hotel room. I got to fly right. out there in three days. So that I'm going to have to bake that into the price. But now I'm like in my pajamas. Mm. you know doing shows in between netflix shows so you know so it's like it's a little bit easier for me um and 
but as far as the business approach goes, when all this went down, this pandemic happened, I just went into my client list. I don't know if you got, you know, d- depends. We're talking way more business than I would have thought, mm-hmm. but you go into it, your CRM, right? And yeah, yeah. you you hit up all your clients and say, hey, listen, mm-hmm. we're in the middle of a pandemic, but if you guys want some sort of entertainment uh, in the virtual platform, virtual happy hours, or you guys are doing a meeting, uh, you know, your uh, marketing meetings or sales meetings and things, and you want something at the end and thing. And I, in one email, you get eight leads back and you, mm-hmm. there's your shows. And then when you do those shows, you get more shows from those shows. Um, and then of course, what a lot of people did when this pandemic happened was started with that, with more cold call stuff, reaching out to new places mm-hmm. and saying, Hey, you know, this is where we're at right now. But just because the pandemic happened doesn't mean people don't want to be entertained. So it's mm-hmm. not, it's not a bad thing. It didn't need to shut the industry down. Mm-hmm. Right just moved i yeah i'm gonna be a bit selfish here as well um because we actually have a a corporate event coming up um pretty soon in new york as well actually so it lines up pretty well um but i just wanted to ask you kind of i'm just interested um i don't know if this is if i can really put this in a specific question but basically what are your tips i guess for um i think this yeah because we, we have it's a pretty big corporation that we're going to be working with and i'm just interested in kind of um I mean, more about like, maybe this is more specific, more about the first five minutes. How do you establish yourself? Um, and yeah, kind of just what are your tips for keeping that sort of audience? And then also, I, I'm assuming that you, sometimes they ask you to do talks afterwards of how kind of that applies to business. So maybe this is a bit of a bigger question, but kind of what are your tips for for that sort of presentation? Uh, well, that would be tailored to whatever the client wants specifically. So if they want a speech on creativity or something like that, I mean, every client's different. So right. I would ask them what they're go- what are you looking for to motivate your employees or give the engineering like card trick. I've done that before. Card tricks is engineering. Mm-hmm. I need to, this is the end result, but it's impossible. This is a great one. Companies mm-hmm. love this. Uh, SI group up here in Albany, they have, um, they have a company that makes like oil, for example. I mean, they, they were hired by a company that makes large, you know, airline oil tanker kind of things like that. And they have this big company and they need to get this amount of oil from this side of the company to the other side of the company, but it's costing $9 billion to do that. So they had to come up with solutions to do that. And they solved it. And I was at the party where they were celebrating that huge Mm. victory for their company. So, I mean, that's a simple card trick, you know, Hey, I invent card tricks and I need to get these thought of cards into this glass bowl that you guys are watching the whole time. It's not possible. Right. And then you do it and you explain, you know, and you don't teach the method obviously, but you go through some bullshit uh, explanation for all your obstacles that got in the way and had to solve things. And the company, you know, they just walk away with, look at this kid comes up against his job is doing the impossible and over and over and over. He just does it. And, Mm -hmm. and you can't be, you, once you hear that something's impossible, you can't just be defeated and say, I don't want to do it. They want their employees to feel that. Like, look at this kid. doesn't matter what gets in his way. He's just going to solve it. Mm. Thinking outside the box, that, all that stuff. Good companies really love that. And creativity, solve, problem solving, motivating uh, things. You know, that that's just ask the client what they're looking for and then figure out a way to incorporate your magic into whatever that speech is to make it entertaining. Right. I like that. And also, I, I, I kind of want to just touch on something that you've said a lot. Um, well, that yeah, I kind of getting the, your general vibe from that. I think hopefully people can pick up on this uh, for their own performances and everyone that's listening. It's interesting what you're saying as far as, because um, we, we talk about this quite a lot actually at the Dinner Magician where it's like, it's not just who you know, but it's 
what you know when you meet them, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really interesting what you're touching on a lot here, Jason, which is, you know, yes, you are getting into these corporate events. Yes, you are able to see these people. But if you didn't present as you did when you met them, it wouldn't matter, right? You wouldn't oh, get more gigs, right? Impact <laughs> is everything. You don't want to come off as some sort of magician that was hired to do sponge balls for people right. at, at an event. Uh, so I don't do magic, really. I It's all this gambling uh, stuff and like the peek behind the curtain of the, the mm. secret of life of in Las Vegas and you know card counting and all these if I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh maybe my card at any number right. from Game Changer it's you come off looking like Rain Man you know you say all right here's a shuffle deck of cards mm-hmm. uh yeah. you sir cut off any number of cards you want bury your card in the deck and now at this point I know it's exactly 28 cards from the top and the audience gasps you know like how can you know that and then you <laughs> count down and prove you're right so the audience is like what the hell how does this guy know so much about his craft and that's very inspiring, and and that makes an impact. Like you're talking about, this is this is from strong magic. You're you're. It's not just that they're being entertained. It's like their minds are just completely being blown, and that makes you uh, more impactful. You have more influence now because you're more. You know you. Your words have more weight all of a sudden because they're suddenly realizing like, wow, this guy's like a genius. And even though it, it it's it's a card trick, it still has all that ingenuity in it. I mean, if they knew what I actually did, you know, the guy says, okay, how'd you do that? Any card? And you know, <laughs> oh, well, I spent three years memorizing every single card in a deck. Right. You know, they'd be, they'd be blown away because what they saw, thought was awesome is actually 20 times more awesome. Mm. But <laughs> they would think, who's crazy enough to do that? And uh, magicians, of course. Mm-hmm. So um, once you kind of come off with that, that persona and, and that, person you really are you are a fascinating person to them and they're already the ceo of the company and here you are they're them looking up to you i briefly pause this podcast to give a shout out to the daily magician tapes collection this is a growing collection of exclusive audio training and interviews with some of the world's best including the magician that you're listening to right now if you'd like to find out more about the Daily Magician tapes, head over to thedailymagician.com slash tapes. That's thedailymagician.com slash tapes. We'll see you there. You I mentioned, um, yeah. mm-hmm. you no, mentioned the, I just want to get a chance for, for Jason to talk about these two things, um, which is your books, right? Game Changer and, and Confident Deceptions. You mentioned a routine from one oh. of them. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about them and, and also how you sort of structured them in that you're very aware of the potential pitfalls of learning from a book in the wrong way. So how did you kind of combat that proactively when you're writing your own? Uh, well, my approach when I was writing both of those books was uh, to just make like the greatest magic book of all time. And that that is like my ego talking. But I say <laughs> that because when I would read other books, I would feel like, all right, like in the Scarney book or something like that, he explains this amazing trick and how it works but it's like two paragraphs Mm. and you have to reread it like a million times to figure out what he's saying, because he never says pick the deck up and hold it in your left hand or turn the deck face up before you deal the cards. So, you know what I mean? You deal Mm. face down and then realize after it doesn't work three times, Oh, I got to deal these cards face up. (laughs) And the book doesn't say that. It just says deal down until you see Mm. your key or something. And, um, so those books are very poorly written because he's surmising the the tricks instead of really going into detail. Mm no pictures or some books have really low quality pictures, small little blown, you know, look at stars of magic. It's an amazing book, but the pictures are, Oh, I mean, at that time they were good, mm. but in the reprints there, the pictures can get blown out a little bit. 
So um, I said, oh, or filler. I, nothing's worse than buying a book for 65 bucks and realizing I'm only going to do one trick out of it. I mean, what, I read the whole, I invested all that time and everything sucks. When, when the first paragraph is like, you know, spectator thinks of a card and you pull it out of their pocket, you know, and you go, okay, cool. I like that. And then the first paragraph is, all right, you're going to need seven, sevens of spades and four decks with different colors in yeah, your right pocket. That is the worst feeling. <laughs> and you need three stooges for this, you know, and you're, and you're like, okay. So, uh, the you know, or my other favorite, I don't want to say the name of the performer, but one of the, one of the tricks was now pick up your packet of of three cards, which the spectator thinks it's 12 and place it in their hands. And I'm thinking, huh, three for 12. Good luck with that. Like, that's just not going to work. You can't place three cards in a spectator's hand and tell them it's a quarter of the deck. So, um, I was really sick of reading stuff like that. So motivated by that, I said, and this is a curveball here, but I love cookbooks, William Sonoma cookbooks. The, uh, they're these big, they're like coffee table books and they're, thick stock paper. And when you look at the picture of whatever the thing is, you're cooking, your mouth's water, you know what I mean? It's like full color, beautiful dish. And you go, that's what I'm making for dinner tonight. So I'm obviously a big fan of cooking and things. So, um, I was inspired by that. And I said, why can't I have a card magic book that has like full page, full color photos in it like this? So that was my approach. No filler. Everything that's in the books I actually do and still do. I would never write something just to see my name in print. I want it to be a trick that is, very effective and it's foolproof you know bulletproof magic what's the point of trying to get something past an audience that should you should feel that's why the mm. books go confidence deceptions when you have a slight to cover there's like nine things helping you right at that moment when you do the slight so you never feel like oh here comes that tough move i got to do with no cover so that's makes the tricks much easier to do which allows you to focus on entertainment and presentation and i'm sick of seeing the same types of effects like here's another two card transpo like what the, who the hell needs another two card transpo so uh, my goal was also to reinvent new premises and such so you can say new things and hold an audience in a new way using old slides that was my that's it mm -hmm. so no filler big photos easy to read um funny engaging stuff that the audience it doesn't matter if they've never seen card tricks before, they're going to walk away loving you, not necessarily the, the card tricks. It really puts all the emphasis on you. Think about that card at any number. When they walk away from that, they don't go, that was a cool card trick. They say, that guy memorized a whole deck of key, shuffled the cards and knew where they all were. Mm -hmm. That that guy's a genius. That's what they're going to say. Not cool card trick. But if you make two cards transpose without saying anything, like, okay, you hold the ace, I'll hold the jack, now watch. Now they switched. They're just going to say that was a cool card trick. Mm. So... I wanted to stay away from all that stuff and create kind of these movies or these short little movies where people can enjoy these premises. Mm -hmm. When you re uh, explain a James Bond plot to somebody, you don't say, Oh, that one. Oh yeah. James Bond kills that guy. You don't say that. Oh yeah. He kills the villain. You talk about all the shit that happened from the beginning. You're all the stuff in the middle that, that makes Bond who he is. That's, that's the part we like. But at the end of the day, yes, he does just kill the villain. But we, we focus on all the character traits that we love so much. And that's kind of what I wanted to do when I yeah. built these card tricks was have the, the premise really be the the thing that, that people that lay people could enjoy. And that's definitely a and that was the approach for both books. Mm -hmm. And that's that attitude of um again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but sort of the personality behind the magic being the sort of foremost thing. That's definitely in uh that's in Darwin's books, right? 
um, as oh, opposed absolutely. to other people who may say, you know, magic, uh, you are just the medium to the magic, right? Stop taking the, all the attention yourself. Just you are the medium, you're the vessel, let them enjoy the magic. Would you say you're sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum with Darwin in this scenario? Uh, well, remember what I said earlier about art. It's how you interpret that art is, it's up to the performer to say, you know, that's why like that, that fancy New York City art, right? I'm going to take the word rat and stencil it and then throw a paintbrush at it and sell it for $8 million. Mm-hmm. Some people call that art, you know, so to someone it may be, you know, but uh, so when you create this stuff, you can really have your own approach. If you want to stand back and do nothing and let the magic mm-hmm. do all the talking for you, then fine. But for me, I want people to enjoy me as I'm the, I'm the guy in the room doing all the cool stuff. And it's just mm-hmm. the cards are kind of acting out what it is that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that stops that problem of, Oh, we did card tricks all night. You know, that, that's it's me. They enjoy me and what I do. Like I'm sh- I'm passionate about something and I'm sh- sharing it with the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Um, I'm interested actually, cause I read in one of your books as well that you said pretty much everything you do is like 98% scripted <laughs> as far as like you obviously leave like maybe like 5% for just jokes or whatever it might be. How, how do you, I like this because you talk a little bit about how to create clarity in your scripting. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm interested kind of how did your creative process work for that when it comes to like, okay, I now have this effect. I know what I want to do, but how do I make this really clear for my audience through scripting? Yeah. You don't, when they make a movie, they don't just put all the actors in a room and say, all right, guys, let's, yeah. you know, let's riff it. <laughs> The actors have scripts and they're allowed to ad lib certain parts, but for the most part, they have to stick to a script because that guarantees that whatever the story's about, it's going to come across. So if you're one of those performers that thinks, and this again is this whole, like when you first get into magic and you don't know anything, you know, Mm -hmm. they make the argument, Oh no, when you script, you sound like a robot and I need to have life in my magic and just riff it and improvise. Well, if you improvise, that's good, but it's not going to be the same every time, which means it can't be the best every time. It's because some days it's going to be good and some days it's going to be bad. And you're going to miss certain things, especially like when you give directions with things. I've seen countless performers on national television shows trying to tell the spectator what to do, and it's a train wreck. Okay, deal these cards. Oh, no, no, I mean, I mean uh, like this. Like, uh, one of the, no, 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 face down like this. Yep. Well, no, 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 wait. Before you deal, this is what's going to happen. So pick them back up. No, no, don't put these back on the, yeah, like this. No, let me show you here. You know, and you, you know, like on TV and it's like, you've never explained this to people before. So I feel like I would like to meet that person and say, all right, here's a free lesson. All right. right ready for this? Okay. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to deal the cards one at a time, face down into a pile like this and stop whenever you want. I mean, how, how easy is that? Mm then you memorize that. And that way you say it the same way every time. So there's no confusion. In a moment, I'm going to hand you these cards. You're going to deal them down face down into a pile like this and stop whenever you want. And to give the deck to the spectator and say, here, start dealing the cards and then go back and forth trying to fix everything in real time is just a nightmare. So that, that's going to waste the energy, uh, attention span of the audience because they're trying right. to magic but all they're doing is see you trying to teach somebody especially with stack work right where it is really essential that the oh script yeah is and, it's, and it's also key. so important that the deck stays in the right order yeah. and here you are trying to teach uh this wild card of a person that you don't know what they're going to do and they put the cards back in the wrong way and th- that you know now the trick's not even going to work anymore so all that stuff's scripted and the, the point that i wanted to make about all this is it's yes it's all scripted the proof is that it's in the book i mean if anybody doubts it watch Go watch a YouTube 
video of one of my things and read the script in the book. It's like word for word, but it feel it, it comes off like I'm saying it for the first time that mm. the audience should feel like I'm just talking, but it's, it's your job as an actor to deliver it as it's coming off the first time. Now to prevent the robot problem, uh, you have to rehearse this stuff and get in front of a real audience. And it's a lot of acting tips, but you have to be responsive to your audience too, because your audience will say things that may be off, uh, a, a great opportunity for you to respond with something funny. And believe it or not, like 90% of the things that the quips and the comebacks that I'm saying to my audience, those things are scripted too. Mm. So it's kind of like a choose your own adventure where mm. I'm on a script, spectator says something funny. I then have like three or four potential comebacks to that line. I pick the best one. I say it. If it gets a good laugh, I think of one of the other comebacks, you know, an, an additional way to kind of continue the joke to go deliver that line. And then I feel like, okay, that was enough. And I hop back right onto the, where I was when I jumped off the script. Mm -hmm. Now it can't be scripted as far as the audience is concerned, because here I am talking to people that are giving me random things from the audience. So how mm -hmm. could this be scripted? It feels like it's all happening in real time. But when I watch back, for example, the magic castle set uh, that I'd have, you just search my name and magic castle and it'll, it'll pop up on YouTube. Everything in there I've, in that show, 17 minutes or 18 minutes has been said a million times, like verbatim. Nothing in that was off script. Even the comebacks to the audience were things I had used in the past. So, but when you watch that, you should never feel like, oh, he's just reciting a script. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a, a good lesson if someone's curious about how do you make a script sound good? Watch that video. Mm. Okay. I, uh, um, yeah, I actually have a question that I wrote down earlier because I, I thought it'd be interesting to get your perspective on and I want to attack it before we get too close to the end. You mentioned, or I guess we mentioned collectively about how uh, when you were younger, you know, you thought you knew uh, and then you met these guys and you realized you had so much to learn still. Now, however many years later, um, some people um, do call you one of the best. Uh, I'm sure people have called you the best. Maybe Michael Vincent is a, is a name that comes to mind. So if now that you're in this kind of position, how do you still find those people to chase? Uh, I guess, do you still find those people to chase? Who are they? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's always somebody doing something. That That's because we all have time to, to do this stuff. And there's always somebody that's going to be better than you. And it's usually some Asian kid on Instagram that mm -hmm. proves you wrong every single I'm time. the same thing today. <laughs> like, how the hell is this kid doing this? Yeah. I mean, just the other day, there was some Russian guy on, on Instagram doing a one-handed, uh, one shuffle, six-handed stack. You know, and you're thinking like, what the hell? Now I got to learn this thing. And so there's always somebody better than you, period. Mm. Um, and the funny thing is like your master, the masters that I grew up, you know, 20 years ago when I was watching, those people are starting to no longer be in their prime. So there, you know, there's new people coming along and, and you'll, you'll still find those moments and it can be, it doesn't have to be people that are masters at everything. They could just be somebody that's really good at one particular thing. And, um, Young kids that have a lot of ambition can still kind of skyrocket to that that skill level a lot quicker than you may expect, you know. And you're like, "Wow, look at this kid! Uh, kid, child prodigy, piano players." You know, like, "What the hell? You're eight years old and you can play better than I've ever played in my life." Mm -hmm. So th there's always people out there that are going to be better, and you just need to find them and and let them do their thing and be inspired and and that's just a great cycle to have where you can suddenly see something and, and go sit down at the card table and make, you know, work at it again. 
I like that. Um, I think, yeah, we're probably getting towards the end here. And we, we, we have one question that we like to ask a lot of our guests. And I'm interested to hear what your take is on this, um, Jason. We, we, there's obviously a lot of problems in the world. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of things that we can spend time solving. Uh, and as professional magicians, um, well, you being a professional magician, I wouldn't say that we're on your level, but um, I'm interested to hear, you know, obviously you have like a problem solving mind. It sounds like also you've had a career in music and, and stuff like that. I'm just, what um, was it that made you think, okay, I'm going to, I want to spend time solving magic problems. And what do you think that contributes to the world? Um, well, I think that in order to have, to get out of bed in the morning and feel something, you want to focus on your passions. And I don't know why I was given that particular passion, maybe because of something I saw when I was a kid. Um, but I, I wanted to be the best at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look at it, like it's a very rewarding thing to be able to create things that have not been thought of before. I mean, card magic has been around forever mm-hmm. and you think that it's all been done already. And it's like my lifelong goal to continue to find new things. And it's very exciting for me to be like, wow, this old plot that's been done a million times. And this old plot's been done a million times, but let's, kind of combine these two things weed some things out add a new element in there and look at this it's a whole brand new thing that's crystal clear simple to do you know fools people and and it's new and and then practice it find the the humor the jokes the beats and and work on all that go out and perform it and and evaluate how it worked with the audience that that whole this whole cycle that i go through all the time that's just really rewarding for me Uh, and at the end of the day if i have either inspired a person to want to get better like i just said about when i see somebody that inspires me if i, if I have a younger magician or a student or somebody that says you know i want to do that like i i, I want to be better at this that means a lot to me that means i've done my thing and inspired somebody or if i'm performing for lay people and they just had a great time i mean we're in the middle of a pandemic and if i can offer you know 45 minutes of entertainment where people get to forget about that and basically have this new world of cheap card cheating and, and magic and sleight of hand that they've never been exposed to before that just blows your mind like a great movie you know you come out of the movie theater high off whatever movie you just saw like holy shit like batman the second batman when it came out i mean yeah, we had never seen, right remember the, the we'd never seen it uh, the, a joker like that before or nolan had all those great new special not special effects but new moments no moments in, in movies that we had never really seen before. the act structure is so different in that one we just came high as a kite out of that movie and we wanted to watch it again and when yeah. it came out we i would watch i'd pop that movie in all the time to watch it and we'd like to be in that environment you know so think of that how a lay person can walk away from the show feeling that uplifting mm-hmm. feeling that they got a, a peek behind the curtain to see this guy that's passionate about what he does so Am I making a big difference? I'm not curing cancer here, but um, I think that I gave people a, an escape that they that they feel better about, you know, at the end of the day. I really like that. Um, well, Benji, unless you have any other more que- any other questions, I think we might close it up there. I don't know if you do. No, I think I'm good. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's been great talking yeah, to you. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, and, and we'd love to give you, obviously, the opportunity to shout out anything you want to. Obviously, we've talked a little bit about your books, uh, Confident Deceptions and Game Changer. I saw also on your site that you can buy close-up mats. There's also some effects, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, there's some downloads. The, the website is uh, 
uh, card magic by jason.com and there's obviously just hop on there and there's just uh you know the stuff that i've i've written or or filmed that's for sale a couple books and some lecture notes but also you write mats and three-way mirrors and things like that things that have been very helpful to me in the learning process uh there's blogs on there that i uh, put up just kind of free lessons or, or observations I have, I write on that occasionally. Uh, where the party's at right now is uh, Instagram. Somehow when this pandemic started, I had this goal to build my Instagram and it it like quint it quadrupled in size since the pandemic. That's so awesome. I'm given a lot of, yeah, it's just engagement and people really respond to it well. So I do like deck giveaways and everything. So that's, that's where I'm most active. I don't really mess around with Facebook anymore because it's just a political disaster. That whole f- platform just died, I think. I don't know why it died, but it did. Um, so I've shifted everything over and I'm focusing more on YouTube and uh, Instagram. It's all card magic by Jason. It's the whole thing. And fuck Twitter. I hate to, Twitter has never, I don't understand Twitter at all. I just do not understand it. I'll post on there and it's like, I don't even exist. But uh, on Instagram, I'll post a, a video and I mean, you get like 7,000 views that day. So I, I don't know what, what the difference is, but uh, that's where everything's happening. The only thing that's coming out new is uh, live in London. I did a, a lecture a couple of years ago, and when the pandemic hit, I realized I wasn't going to be able to perform anymore. So I went back into the archives and dug this out and made a, a DVD out of it, like a lecture DVD, similar to At the Table or the Penguin uh, lectures. So that'll be, uh, it's all done. I'm just waiting for duplication and stuff. So that's the next thing on the list there. And, uh, and I'm currently working on the third book, but that's going to be at least a year or two before that comes out and i'm sure people can uh sign up to your your newsletter right on your website and they'll be yeah if you go to the website you'll get uh that's just for when new blogs come out or new videos or sales and things like that it's not spammy by any means it's just an update on something important mm-hmm. okay well perfect thank you so much jason for your time all right well thanks for having me and uh yeah well let's talk to you guys uh, on the next podcast all right i'll see you